helpful in, uh, in today's sermon. So just, just in case, um, we've been looking at the Beatitudes. We're going to continue that uh, this morning. And, uh, but before I read this one, uh, let me pray. Lord, we uh, confess to you that we are people of divided hearts, distracted, confused, tired, angry, unfocused, uh, and sometimes even our best efforts to concentrate our hearts and minds on what is true, it falls far short. And yet, Lord, what we know is that you are unflagging in your devotion, you're unflagging in your loyalty, you're unflagging in your determination to uh, draw to yourself and save a people for yourself. And so will you bless us today with a sense of joy in that? Uh, help us by faith today to take you at your word. Uh, and I pray that you would change every single one of us. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Text is in the bulletin, and right now it's on the screens behind me. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So one of the things you may be thinking about is when you hear the word pure of heart, what do you think? Some people, what, what we tend to think about that is that means moral purity, right? That, that you're clean, that you are... Um, uh, before God, you uh, have cleaned yourself up, and you're not coveting, you're not gossiping, you're not lying, you're not cheating, you're, you're, uh, you know, you're a morally upright person. That's the way we tend to think about it. But that's, uh, that's far from what Jesus is getting at when he speaks to us about purity of heart, because what, what purity of heart means, as we're going to unpack through a lot of Scripture today, means this, to, be, to will, be driven, and consumed by one thing. Okay? Purity of heart means that what we are about is one thing. The glory of God, the love of God, the work of God, in our hearts and lives. Now, before I go too far in that, and that may seem alien and that sort of thing, but one of the things you have to understand about that is that's actually what you were made for. That's actually what, what you were created to be and to do. That is, that is what, when, when God placed Adam and Eve in the garden, that is exactly what they were made for, to have unbroken, uh, joyful, productive lives, lived in the presence of God before him, enjoying everything that God had given them and being focused upon, as they did that, without even trying on seeing the glory of God, the goodness of God, and experiencing that daily in their lives. Their allegiance becomes divided when the serpent enters into the garden and reorients things so that now, between, with Adam and Eve, their, their allegiances, their loyalty becomes divided. And so they align themselves, at least temporarily, with the serpent. And until God intervenes, he will not let that stand. We exist in a world, in a place, with divided loyalties, with divided focus, with divided hearts. One of the things that, that's so important about this, and, 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 you, and you may think, well, where do, where do you begin to get that uh, out, of, out of Scripture? Well, 
here's, here's where a place you can be in. Jesus is kind of quoting here the psalm when he talks about, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Because he quotes this, uh, he's referring to this psalm, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. Next slide, please, Brian. Right? So we deceive when we will to do two things. Right? You deceive when, when you're outwardly focusing, showing something that's true about you, but internally you know it's not. And so that's a divided heart. That is, that is, not, a, that is not a pure heart. That is, there's no purity in that because we are, uh, we're, we're divided in the way in which we go about things. So that's, that's important for us to see. And I, 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 I want to say a couple of things about this to, to help us unpack this. I mean, there's a lot of joy and single-mindedness. There's a lot of joy in the simplicity of knowing there is one thing that life is about. Uh, yesterday, I watched this movie, and except for about three minutes of some foul language, I would recommend this movie to you to watch. It's a, um, it's a documentary. Uh, it came out last year, earned a whopping $900,000 at, uh, at the box office called The Truffle Hunters. I, so exciting. Not a Marvel character to be seen anywhere in it. The Truffle Hunters is a documentary about a group of elderly men who live in the Piedmont region of Italy with their dogs, and they hunt the white alba truffle. Grows in the woods, in the trees, and the roots underneath the trees. And they're all old, they're all very secretive. They're all very competitive. And they go out there and they dig these truffles. They, they, they use the dogs because the dogs can smell the truffles. And they dig the truffles out of the ground. Now, you're thinking, like, what's a truffle? Well, I'm not real sure. But, man, they sure are sniffing them a lot. And they, they look like, like, little, uh, like little white kind of like cross between a garlic clove and a dried fig. And um, the dogs dig, I don't know, that far down into the ground to get them. But the coolest thing about this is how single-minded these guys are. And they've been doing it their whole lives. They're all in their 70s or 80s. One part of the movie, they, they actually strap a camera onto one of the dogs. And all you can see is about this much of the dog's nose and the ground in front of it as it takes off through the woods, <laughs> looking, for, looking for the, uh, uh, the, the, the truffles. And he finds one, and he's like just going crazy like that. And you know, the old dude is behind him, like, oh, no, blah, 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 you know, speaking his Italian, that kind of stuff. And they whip that truffle up, and everybody's like, this is awesome. This is the greatest thing ever. One of the guys, 88, Carlo, Carlo's wife is like, Carlo, you got to quit doing this. Because Carlo gets out, he likes to do it, hunt at night, and he can't see. And so he follows his dog home. And his dog's like this big. So he's not looking in front of him. Uh, and he gets a, a face full of thorns from a tree. Tears his face up. The doctor's like, you know, Carlo, you're too old to be doing this. You don't need to be doing this anymore. And the last scene of the movie, it's dark at night. And there's the dog sitting outside Carlo's house. And Carlo is crawling out the window <laughs> to go truffle hunting. One more time, right? Single-minded, focused, 
They're on it, right? So what Jesus is, is, is crying out to us for and, 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 and saying to us is, is that the blessing of life, the blessing of the gospel, the blessing of the work of God in us is to refocus us on the one thing. Remember in City Slickers, that movie that came out about 150 years ago, Billy Crystal asked uh, his guide, you know, what's the secret of life? He says, one thing. He says, well, what is that? Well, they have a terrible answer. It's, well, whatever you want it to be, but it's not. You were made to have one purpose. You were made to have one focus. And so all of life, all of the things you do, your work, your marriage, your friends, your family, your church, your, your gardening, your driving, your all of those things flow out of that issue of your heart's attention to and focus upon the fact that you are made in the image of God, that He loves you, that He is for you, that He is redeeming you, and that His glory, His work in your life, and His love upon you is the secret of a happy life, is, is the point of what, why we were created. And so that's why Jesus says that when you have this purity of heart, when your heart is undivided, the clarity that we have of, of, of seeing who, who God is, right? So um, one of the things that, that you have to understand about this is, is that the Bible is so focused upon our hearts and so focused upon this work that God is doing. You know, we, you may think the Bible is a lot about a lot of different things, but if you do a search in it about the heart, and you look at that and you see the, the constant repetitive nature with which God speaks to us about our hearts, about the, the seed of life and how important that is, how that's the very root of who we are and what we say and what we do and how focused he is upon that and how he wants us to be focused upon it. Our tendency is to focus on what's outward. Our tendency is to focus on the things that we can see. God sees into our very heart. And he understands that that is what motivates us, that is what drives us, that is what orients us uh, in, in life, right? So James writes, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you men of double mind. See there again, double-mindedness is the opposite of purity of heart. Jesus is very clear about this. He cares nothing for external religion, service, or giving. Our heart is his primary concern. I want you to think about that. Jesus is concerned about what's going on internally in us. What, because, because you can fool uh, everyone else, but he sees into our hearts, and he loves our hearts. He wants to redirect our hearts. He says this uh, later on in Matthew. Next, next uh, slide. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup, and of the plate, but inside they're full of extortion and rapacity. You blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and of the plate, that the outside um, uh, may also be clean. The heart's not merely emotion or desire or will. It's all of these things. It's our invisible root. It is the source of who we are, and it is most manifest and secret, and often only God sees our heart. And that's why Jesus is so concerned about it. That's why he is so focused upon it. That's why he wants to reach our hearts. He wants to reorient our hearts. Why is that? Next slide. Because Jesus says that what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. So when you are complaining, gossiping, lying, 
obfuscating, look that word up, uh, this week, it wasn't the problem with your mouth. And it wasn't even a problem with your brain. It's a problem with our hearts. It's a problem with what's going on internally about us. And so, so what we want to do is we want to project a certain image or we want to unproject a certain image that is not lined up with reality, right? Uh, Jesus says this, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's why, you know, we tend to think about Jesus as being this super tolerant guy who went around saying, you know, you you had the law in the Old Testament, set that aside. I'm here to tell you, I'm okay and you're okay. When in fact, when in fact what Jesus does is he amps the law up, right? I mean, why, why, when he talks about adultery or murder, I mean, think, think about it this way. You would love to live in a place where there's no murder or adultery ever, right? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? Jesus isn't having it. I mean, he doesn't like murder and he doesn't like adultery. But what Jesus wants to see is a place where there's no bitterness, hatred, unforgiveness of enemies, where there's no lust, right? Uh, and that's why, I mean, one, you know, one of the commandments that just strikes at the very heart of this is the commandment about coveting. No one knows your coveting except you and God, Right? No one knows your envy. No one knows your desire to have what somebody else has most of the time except you and God, although it leaks out of our mouths sooner or later, right? But, but the fact is, that is something that's going on inside of us. And that is the great thing about the gospel, and that is the great thing about the Lord, that, that that's why he is so oriented towards that, because that is what we really are. We tend to think of, of, of ourselves as you know, just simply uh, uh, agents of production or something like that. But Jesus sees us as living, breathing hearts, wills, desires, that, that we were created to be loved and, and to love him and to see him. And, and, and that's the frustrating part of what sin does to us is it divides us up. It not only divides us from our God, but it divides us internally, even from ourselves, right? Next slide. So he goes on to say here, right, so that uh, uh, the the pure in heart will see God. Well, what's the point of seeing God? Well, and why is that so important? Well, first and foremost, what's important about it is is we see God first by hearing from him. Isn't that interesting? We, We get a clear picture of who God is by seeing him, by hearing what he reveals to us in his word. His revelation of himself is what clarifies for us what it means to to see God. Secondly, we see God manifest in our world around us, in in things that are beautiful, in things that are true, in things that are good. Uh, This week, I I spent uh, a a large portion of the week in eastern, northeastern, far northeastern South Dakota. And one of the things I learned about far eastern, uh, south, nor- northeastern South Dakota is there are three trees and no hills. And so you can see forever. 
And to give you an illustration of that, I, I, I don't have time to talk about it much, but I saw the Northern Lights, which was, uh, it was cool, but the thing that, <laughs> I'm weird that way, but the thing that really amazed me was I went out one day on a clear day at sunset, and when, I don't know what your experience is like, but here in Virginia, when I look at the sunset, I see the horizon, and it's a line straight in front of me. But when you're on the prairie, and it's flat, and you go out and see the sunset, it's 280 degrees. And all of a sudden, you're like, the world's not flat after all. Right? <laughs> and it's stunning. It's God's, you know, it's made me so happy, so glad that we don't have any stained glass window in here because that's God's stained glass window. And so you see that in your, you know, because I've heard the word of the Lord, because, because I understand that that's not just something that happened, a random selection of atoms and light particles bending in the atmosphere and that sort of thing, that God made that. And he made me to see it. And he made me to be moved by it. And he made it to turn me to him. Right? You begin to see, oh, that, that's what this is about. That's, that's who this is about. But most importantly, we see our God in the rough and tumble of life, the vortex that is this place of suffering and struggle and difficulty by crying out to him for grace. David writes in Psalm 27, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. Hide not your face from me. Right? He knows that the grace of God is to be able to see him, to live in God's presence, to, to have this sense that God is right there with him in the midst of his struggle, in the midst of his temptation, and in the midst of the things that are dividing his heart and, and driving him out of the place where there's real life, right? It is such, such a powerful thing for us to see that because what we understand about ourselves is, is that our, our hearts are so often divided. And, and our hearts, and, and if you think, well, no, my heart's never divided. Are you ever cold towards God? Are you ever uncaring towards Him? Are you ever uh, uh, have the sense that He's not engaged or aware or in, in, involved with you at all? You see, that's what David is getting at here is he sees his sin, he becomes aware of his need, and he becomes focused upon needing to see the face of God, to have God present with him, and, and, and to have his heart reoriented towards him. The uh, great philosopher of the 1800s, Soren Kierkegaard, I know your eyes are going to roll back in your head now, uh, wrote a book about this, uh, about the, the will of, to, the, the, to will one thing, right? That's what God wants us to be about. And that doesn't mean that we're kind of some raving fundamentalists, but what it means is, is that we see all of life, all of our life, all of what we are about it, through the lens and from the perspective that we are creatures created by a God who loves us and who redeemed us. And so that his whole story, his whole work from creation until glory is his work to win our hearts, to focus our hearts, to unite our hearts singularly upon who it is that made us and redeemed us. 
And so what I want you to do right now is I want you to have the heart cry of the, of the writer of Proverbs. Who can say, I have made my heart pure, I am clean from sin? Right? Who can say that? Well, if you can say that this morning, I've got something for you. Uh, we, uh, we cannot make our hearts pure, and we cannot clean ourselves from sin. Um, one of the things I've done a little bit lately is going back and reading some of my C.S. Lewis and the, um, especially uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. And, you know, there's this kid, which one is it? The Silver Chair? Anyway, this kid Eustace, I, uh, what a terrible name. Just a ter- E-U-S-T-A-C-E. And, you know, he turns into a dragon, right? And he wants to get his scales off, Right. And so he keeps taking his scales off, and he goes and he looks in the water, right? And every time he thinks he's got all his scales off, and he looks in the water, he's still a dragon. So Aslan the lion, who is, uh, who is you know, stands for Christ, is there. And he's like, look, I'm going to take these off for you. And he begins to take his scales off, and it's about to kill Eustace. But when it's done, Eustace goes and he dives in the water. And for the first time in his life, he's experiencing freedom and joy because Aslan, Jesus, stripped these things from him and focused him upon the glory and the goodness of God. So how do we get at this issue of of purity of heart? Well, uh, this is one of the very first things that the early church grappled with. Did you know that? You may have thought that the early church grappled with a lot of issues, but one of the things that they were most concerned about was the purity of heart, particularly of those who were racially uh, different, the Gentiles. And so, uh, after next slide, after Paul's first very successful missionary journey to Greece and to Turkey, there was this concern of, okay, we're bringing in these, these Gentiles into our community. And that's a good thing. We're glad to do that. We're happy to do that. And, and there was, there was a, a consensus that that was what Jesus wanted and that that was what God wanted. But, but what did that mean? Did that mean that all the Gentile men now had to get circumcised? Did it mean that they had to participate in the sacrifices? Did it mean that they had to participate in the festivals? And so all the elders and all of the apostles gathered together in Jerusalem to have a talk about this. And apparently they talked a lot. You know, it's just like any Presbyterian meeting. Anytime you get a bunch of elders and pastors together, a lot of words, so many words. So apparently there were a lot of words as they gathered together to talk about that. But this is what happened. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, I I love this because you need an old guy like Peter to let everybody talk and then to get up and say, Here's the definitive word. (laughs) This is what we're going to do, right? And so after much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, that is, that Peter had, had first, he was the first to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles, should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God who knows the heart, there it is. God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. There it is. 
You want a clean heart? Take God at his word. You want a clean heart? Take him at his word that you have a divided heart, that you are sinful and broken, but that he finds you dear. He finds you compelling. And he bends history in the universe to come and take upon your life, your flesh, your sin, and he redeems you. He loves you. He dies your death and rises again. And so, so for us, and so when we think of his cross and we think of his empty tomb, what do we see there? What, what helps us understand that is, is that that, is, that that begins to reorient me and focus me about, oh yeah, that's what it's about. And that's, that's who I'm about because that's who Jesus made me to be and that is who he is redeeming me to be. And so every single moment of every single day, we need to cry out to God to help us take him at his word and that he would continually give us the gift of faith so that it would cleanse our hearts and by cleansing them, orient them to the one thing, the one thing that life is about. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you today for this uh, picture of what we were created to be. I pray that you would continue your work in redeeming us to be these people. Lord, give us a compelling vision of your glory. Give us a compelling vision of your love, a compelling vision of your heart for us, how it is undivided, focused, doggedly determined uh, for the redemption of your creation. Lord, I, uh, it makes us glad today to know that when our hearts are divided, yours never is. And so give us the gift of faith today to take you by your word to uh, cleanse our hearts, to open our eyes, and to move us uh, to see and to trust. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, would you confess uh, your, uh, let's confess our sins together by using the confession of sin that's on the screens behind me and uh, in the bulletin. Father of glory, our hearts cannot be hidden from your sight. Our blind self-pity, self-serving, and self-justifying are laid bare before your eyes. Have mercy upon us, most merciful God. Grant us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Christ, so that the eyes of our hearts might be enlightened. Help us to know the hope to which Jesus called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Brothers and sisters, hear these words of encouragement. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. 
Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Please stand and worship with us.